The first and greatest strategy or tactic of Satan to sabotage the spiritual health of Christians is this, to attack the Word of God. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Scripture teaches that believers are to stand firm in spiritual warfare. But what exactly are you supposed to stand firm against? How will you resist the attacks of the enemy? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. And today, Tom has part seven of his current series titled, Learning to Use God's Armor. When you look at what Satan is trying to accomplish on the cosmic level, he's trying to undermine God's eternal plan and destroy his works. He does so in the life of unbelievers by keeping them blinded and enslaved to sin. But as you'll discover today, Satan's main objective concerning Christians is to undermine our faith, to sabotage our effectiveness, and to prevent our growing in likeness to Jesus Christ. How does he do all this? Well, let's find out as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. During the Second World War, C.S. Lewis wrote a series of letters that were published in a Christian magazine. He wrote the letters as if they were written by a demon named Screwtape. Screwtape writes this series of letters, supposedly, to his nephew, a younger demon named Wormwood. And Wormwood was getting advice from Screwtape because he needed to know better how to accomplish his diabolical mission in the life of one particular young man who was his assignment. The letters that Lewis wrote in this, for this Christian publication were eventually combined into a book that we now know as the Screwtape Letters. Lewis's plan was to write these letters in a sort of backhanded way to reveal to the Christians who read it the real activity of Satan and his demons in their lives. Lewis was very effective. In fact, one of my favorite stories, sort of as a follow-up to this, is one of the people who received that Christian publication and read those letters sort of misunderstood the whole thing and wrote and asked the magazine to remove his subscription, to cancel his subscription. He said, because much of the advice given in these letters is not only erroneous, but positively diabolical. In the book, the second letter to Wormwood, Screwtape writes to his nephew, in these words, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust you would hardly even wish to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. Of course, he's talking about those who profess some faith in Christ, but it's not genuine faith. As John says, they were not of us, so they went out from us. He's referring to them. In another letter, though, Screwtape gets to the heart of what his nephew, Wormwood, should be doing with this now Christian young man that is his assignment. 
Here's what Screwtape writes. Do not allow any temporary excitement to distract you from the real business of undermining faith and preventing the formation of virtues. It's really extremely insightful by C.S. Lewis because that really is Satan's goal for every Christian sitting here this morning. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a literal personal center of evil. His name is Satan, and he would like nothing better than for you individually to have your faith undermined and for there to be no formation of values. That is, to prevent the formation of real likeness to Jesus Christ. That is his great desire for you and for me. And he will use whatever means necessary to accomplish that goal. And so if we're going to be successful in the spiritual war in which we're engaged, literally a war for our souls, if we're going to spiritually survive, then we're going to have to understand what Paul explains in Ephesians 6 about being prepared for the battle. I invite you to turn with me again to Ephesians chapter 6 and to this passage about the armor in which we are to be prepared for the battle. Ephesians chapter 6, let me read it for you again, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. As we've already discovered, the theme of this paragraph is that in the war of the Christian life, we can only stand firm in the strength of Christ and in the armor of God. As Paul develops that theme, these 11 verses can be divided into three parts. In verses 10 through 13, I've entitled that section, Understand Our Orders. Understand Our Orders. Verses 14 to 17, put on God's armor. And verses 18 to 20, think like a soldier. If we're going to stand firm in the war that is the Christian life, First of all, we must understand our orders. 
as soldiers in the Lord's army, we've been given specific orders. In verses 10 and the first part of verse 11, our orders are explained with a sort of overarching command. We've already looked at this. We are to be strengthened in the Lord. Be strong with the strength of someone else and the strength of His might. How do you do that? How do you put on Jesus' own strength? You do it by putting on the full armor of God. That is God's own personal armor we have to put on. That's the overarching command. Verse 11 goes on to give us the objective of our orders. Verse 12, the enemy that we're fighting as we carry out these orders. And verse 13 sort of summarizes what our orders are. So we're looking at this section, this part, understand our orders. If we're going to be successful in the battle, this has to happen. Now we find ourselves considering the objective of our mission down in verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that here is what our orders really have as their intention, as their objective, so that you will be able to stand firm. Here, as we learned last week, we're not told how to attack Satan, but how to withstand his attacks. We are to stand firm. We are to hold our ground. Our great general has defeated Satan at the cross, and we're to hold our ground until he returns and finishes the mop up, mopping up operations in the future. We're to stand firm, not in our own strength, but in the strength of Jesus. How can we put on Jesus' strength? By putting on the armor that's outlined here that we'll look at in the weeks ahead. Now, what exactly is it we're to put up such a firm defense against? What are we to stand firm against? Verse 11 tells us, against the schemes of the devil. The Greek word for schemes is the word from which we get the English word method. Stand firm against the methods of the devil. In light of the military image here, it's probably best to translate this word as strategies or tactics. And notice schemes is plural. That implies not only that they are continually coming at us, but there, are a, there is a great variety of strategies that he has at his disposal. That's why in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul says, don't be ignorant of Satan's schemes. Now, we've already considered Satan's strategies toward unbelievers. Ultimately, he wants to keep them blinded, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, to the truth of the gospel. He wants to keep them enslaved. And how does he do that? Well, he promotes human philosophy and ideology. He promotes false religion. He prevents the spread of the true gospel. He produces false believers in the church and makes unbelievers think they're truly believers when they're not. Those are the primary ways that Satan keeps people spiritually blind, spiritually enslaved. But what about believers? How exactly does Satan set about to undermine our spiritual life? Last week, I mentioned just one strategy he has toward believers, just in passing, really, to prepare our hearts for communion. And that is, he accuses us. He accuses us to our own consciences and to God. While that is a strategy of Satan, 
It's not one of his primary strategies, and it's not one of his most effective strategies. As we ended last time, Romans 8 says, an accusation before God will never stand against us because Jesus is there to defend us. What I want to do today, and the next time we study together as well, is begin to examine Satan's primary strategies or tactics against believers. What are his primary strategies, his primary battle plans against believers? It's absolutely crucial that we understand the tactics of our enemy. Now, if I had to summarize it, I would say this. When you look at Satan's objective in reference to God, what is Satan trying to do in reference to God? He is trying to undermine God's eternal plan and destroy his works. God has this great eternal plan of redemption. Satan has tried at every point he can, and he still tries to undermine that plan. And he tries to destroy everything God sets out to do. In reference to, to unbelievers, in reference to unbelievers, Satan's objective is to keep them blinded, as we've seen, and enslaved to sin. But in regard to Christians, if I had to summarize his objective in regard to us, I would say that it is to undermine our faith, to sabotage our growth, and to prevent our growing in likeness to Jesus Christ. He wants to undermine our faith and to sabotage any growth in holiness and likeness to Jesus Christ. He can't keep us from being ultimately rescued by God, but he can do everything in the meantime to destroy our progress and to mar the plan that God has laid out for us. You see this in several passages. I want you to look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is part of the Olivet Discourse. It's on Tuesday of the Passion Week. Jesus is teaching his followers what will come in the future. And in the context of this, he gives us a little insight into Satan's plan and strategy. Let's start verse 22. Speaking of the great tribulation that's coming, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, here's the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. Here at the very end, during the great tribulation period, there will be believers on earth, those saved during the great tribulation. We read about them this morning from Revelation chapter 7. And during that time, Satan will produce false Christs and false apostles. And notice the end of verse 24. So as to mislead, if it were possible, even the elect. Here you see just a glimpse. Satan not only wants to use these false Christs and these false apostles to undermine unbelievers, to keep them locked in their spiritual blindness, but he also wants to use it, if it were possible, even to mislead the elect, to have them pursue another Christ and follow false apostles. Well, that's true on the large front, on the overarching front, but this is true even for individual believers. 
This is Satan's strategy with every individual. Turn over to Luke 22. In Luke 22, you see it up close and personal when it pertains to Peter. We've just fast-forwarded two days. The passage we saw, the Olivet Discourse, was on Tuesday of the Passion Week. This one is on Thursday night of the Passion Week, just before our Lord's death on Friday. And in the upper room, verse 31 of Luke 22, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What does that tell us about Satan's intentions toward Peter? What did he want to accomplish in Peter's life? He wanted his faith to fail. He wanted to destroy his faith. And it was only by the intervention of Christ himself, as he does for us, who will not allow it. He says, no one will be snatched out of my hand or out of my father's hand. Because of his intervention, it doesn't happen. But that was Satan's goal with Peter, to cause his faith in Christ to utterly be destroyed, to fail. It's the same with you. Satan would like nothing better than to see your faith destroyed. You see it again in 1 Peter. Peter learned the lesson well. When he writes his first letter... He reminds us that there was a time when he thought he could stand in his own strength. You remember what he said to Christ when Jesus told him he would deny him? Oh, you know, all those other guys, they might, but not me. I will never deny you. I'm resolved. Peter learned his lesson. Look at 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, we'll talk about what he, tactic he's using here in a coming week. What I want you to notice right now is his end goal. What is he trying to do? He is seeking a Christian to devour. He wants to destroy he wants to undermine the faith, to sabotage the growth. That's his goal. That's his objective. So how exactly does Satan set out to accomplish this mission in our lives? We better know his tactics. If we're going to be successful, we better understand how it is this second most powerful being in the universe intends to destroy our faith, intends to undermine it and to create havoc in our spiritual lives. Clearly, just like with unbelievers, as we saw last week, back of all the numerous strategies he can have toward us as unbelievers, there is one unifying method. It is lying and deception. And so as we look and sort of unpack over the next couple of weeks the strategies and tactics of Satan, behind it all will be that one unifying element. They will all be about lying and deception. That method permeates all his tactics. But what exactly are his primary strategies toward us? To undermine our faith and to sabotage our growth and likeness to Jesus Christ. The first and greatest strategy or tactic of Satan to sabotage the spiritual health of Christians 
is this, to attack the Word of God. To attack the Word of God. And let me just warn you, we're not going to get any further than that this morning. This first strategy. Because it is unquestionably Satan's chief strategy with Christians and with the church. And you would expect it to be, wouldn't you? What is God's primary tool to help you and me grow in spiritual likeness to Christ? What's the primary tool? The Word of God. The Word of God. There is no growth without that. What did our Lord pray in His high priestly prayer in John 17? Sanctify them through the truth. Your Word is truth. It's the only way. And so if Satan can attack the Word of God successfully in our minds, then he can do the very thing he's trying to do, which is undermine our faith and sabotage our spiritual growth. And so this is where he comes. He attacks the Word of God. Makes sense, doesn't it? In every human war, the tactics always include some measure of deception about the truth. Several years ago now, I read Stephen Ambrose's book on D-Day. And Ambrose tells the story that in the months leading up to D-Day, Churchill and Eisenhower both worked very hard to get Hitler to believe that the invasion of Europe was coming from somewhere other than the beaches of Normandy. So in the north, toward Norway, and in the south, they set up these massive campaigns of deception. They literally had fields that were filled with paper mache and rubber tanks to all the airfields in those areas, north and south. They added dozens of twin-engine bombers that were all made out of wood by the American and British movie industry. They sent communications officers to Scotland, and these communications officers filled the airwaves with the kind of radio chatter that would come from a huge force of men who had assembled there, when in reality there were only two dozen of them. The same kind of distortion of the truth occurs in every human war. There's propaganda, there are double agents, there's the feigning of troop movements. There's deception about the number of troops. This is what happens in war. And the spiritual war in which we are engaged is no exception. In order to try to win this war, the devil routinely attacks the truth. And the truth in this case is the Word of God. This is his strategy. This is his master strategy. Now, there are a variety of ways that he carries out this attack on the Word of God. Let me just identify a couple of them for you. One way he attacks the Word of God is by denying or questioning the truthfulness of Scripture. By denying or questioning the truthfulness of Scripture. This was the approach Satan took the very first time he tempted a human being. Turn back to Genesis chapter 3. You remember the story, the story of the fall that Moses describes for us here in Genesis. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now watch how he begins to question. 
Indeed, has God said? Did you really understand it right? Maybe you're not understanding God properly. And then he magnifies what they're not allowed to do. Is it true that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? God's really keeping all of this from you? This is a master, subtle, crafty way to magnify the prohibition. God's keeping something from you. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part seven of his series, Learning to Use God's Armor. Tom will bring you part eight next time, and we hope you'll join us then. What does the Bible say about church membership? In Tom Pennington's book, Three Hallmarks of a Biblical Church Member, he identifies three non-negotiable hallmarks that should characterize every church member. Tom will challenge you to assess your own church membership to determine if you're meeting those hallmarks, not only for the health of your church, but for the glory of the one who gave his life for it, the Lord Jesus Christ. Purchase your copy of Three Hallmarks of a Biblical Church Member today at thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music